Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as also did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet an hour is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want? Or, Why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, It's still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. 
I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Well, hello and welcome to Grace Church. My name is Bob Bryce, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm just, I'm really thankful to be with you today. Now, I, I've got to admit, I am a sucker for a good infomercial. I, I just, I love them. I'm, I just, I guess I'm simply mesmerized by these amazing products that are, you know, at least supposed to solve the problems that I never even knew I had. How thoughtful. And of course, most of the time it all ends in massive disappointment. You, you know the drill. But, but every once in a while, you find something really great. Something that actually, you know, lives up to its promises. Uh, not that long ago, I remember Tammy and I were over at some friend's house for dinner and I washed my hands, and as soon as I touched the towel, I knew there was something special going on here. It was like, it was like watching the water droplets jump off of my hands and onto the towel. It was amazing. And so, you know, I'm standing there just wondering and staring at my hands and imagining what could possibly have allowed my hands to feel this amazing. And Tammy hollers over, Bob, what is wrong with you? I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. My hands just feel so great right now. Maybe, it must be the towel. It is the towel, our friend said. It's made by her, and it will change your life. Well, of course, instantly, I wanted to know everything. And, and Tammy, on the other hand, just kind of had this look of sheer panic on her face because she knew I was already in deep. It's just a towel, Bob. It's just a towel. Walk away from the towel. Remember the ShamWow. Yeah, I bought that too. Well, the more our friend explained things to me, the more excited I was getting, and also the more that I could also at the same time feel Tammy's death stare, you know, penetrating my soul. But then Tammy tried the towel for herself. And guess what? She was amazed too. She didn't want to be, and she tried her best to hide it, but she was impressed. So much so that, that by the end of our time over there, the brochures were out, the, the order forms were all completed, and a whole new level of cleanliness was on the horizon for the Bryce household. But it didn't stop there. It didn't stop with us because once Tammy gets a hold of something that she really believes that, you know, will help other people, she is all in. She will shout it from the mountaintops. And so she started telling everybody she knows, everybody that we know about these amazing towels. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to try to sell you any towels today, but I do want you to think about this for just a moment. What have you found to be so compelling that you just have to share it with others? What have you found to be so compelling that, that you've found it just absolutely necessary to share it with others? Is, is it a particular product or, or maybe it's a service or a restaurant or, or a particular experience? You know, whatever it is for you, the truth is that when we really believe in something, 
we want to share it with others. We just naturally do it. it. Is that true, though, when it comes to faith? That's usually when it gets really quiet. Do, do we find Jesus compelling enough to share the good news about him with others? Or do we sort of just try to keep him to ourselves and hope nobody asks? Because the reality of it is, if we call ourselves believers or, or Jesus followers, and at the same time, we feel far more compelled to share the good news about shamwows than about our Savior, well, then maybe we haven't really seen and embraced Jesus for who he truly is after all. Or maybe we feel compelled to share Jesus with others, but we don't really think we're qualified to do it. And so our fear keeps us quiet. Or, or maybe we think that sharing our faith with somebody else, well, it probably won't change anything anyway. So our doubts keep our mouth closed. But here's the truth. If you're a believer and a follower of Jesus, then you have a story to tell. Yes, you. And even if you're not a believer yet, or this is your first time even hearing about Jesus, you already have an amazing story as well. It doesn't end right now. And the amazing thing is that our God is big enough and determined enough to reach people that no matter your circumstances, no matter how you come to this time that we share together today, your story can lead others to meet Jesus. Your story can lead others to meet Jesus. And this is true even when we have questions and, and even when we have doubts and even when we're wrestling with things and even, even when we feel far from God, no matter what, no matter what we might be facing with or dealing with, telling our stories can still lead us and others to encounter Jesus over and over and over again. So today, as we continue exploring this, this amazing account of Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, I want to pay special attention to how her story becomes the vehicle that God uses to drive people into relationship with himself, relationship with Jesus. But before we get started today, will you just join me as we ask the Lord to do what only he can do to transform us now in these moments that we have together? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together. We know that it is by the power of your Holy Spirit that you knit your body of believers together. And even though we might, some of us still feel scattered, we know that in you, we are all brought together into the flock of our good shepherd. Lord, we just ask now that during this time that you touch us in a way that transforms us, not just for information, but so that we might become new, new creations in you. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are. We thank you how you love us and how you care for us. We just ask now, Lord, that you reveal truth to each person who is hearing these words. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we looked at the first half of this encounter. The woman at the well is typically what we call it. It's in John chapter 4. And last week, we looked at verses 1 to 26. And then today, we're going to continue on with verses 27 to 42. Now, along the way, there have already been so many surprising and unexpected things like like the fact that Jesus went through Samaria in the first place. Remember, he left Jerusalem, Judea, and and, and uh 
went north, had to go through Samaria, the text says. But we know that he could have gone around the long way because Jewish people and Samaritans hated each other. These two groups did not get along at all. And they would avoid even trying to set foot in one another's territories. But not Jesus. He did not avoid. Instead, he went directly through Samaria. Uh, and so that was unexpected. And then for him to, to have a conversation not just with any Samaritan person, but a Samaritan woman who came to draw water from the well all by herself in the middle of the day. Well, this, this is certainly unexpected, unexpected behavior. But Jesus didn't come to meet our expectations. He came to meet us. He didn't come to meet our expectations. He came to meet us, which is, which is always surprising and even sometimes unsettling for us to consider. So, so it's no wonder that the disciples come back from buying food in the town that Jesus sent them to, and, and they're a bit startled when they come back and, and they see what is happening. Take a look at verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Now, we're not told exactly why they didn't voice, you know, their concerns out loud, but they certainly had them. After all, just by Jesus meeting and talking with this Samaritan woman, he was already breaking through a long list of humanly constructed barriers, racial, gender, social, cultural, traditional, political, religious, and even moral barriers. He, he broke them all by coming to meet her and talking with her. He, he transcends all of those things, all of those humanly constructed barriers in order to meet this woman right where she's at, right in her circumstances, right in the midst of her struggles and, and in her pain and likely in her shame. He sees, he sees through all the labels that the world has attached to her and he just simply sees her as someone God loves enough to send his one and only son to save. And like this Samaritan woman, he meets you and me no matter what our circumstances are because that's just part of who he is. But just because he meets people where they are doesn't mean that everyone responds to him in the same way. And, and, and John is helping us understand this. He's helping to us to understand this by continuing to tell us about these different encounters that people have with Jesus. The truth is that each of us have a choice in how we respond to encountering Jesus. Will, will we believe and receive him or will we reject him? Say, nah, we don't need that. Because we're told in scripture that some will and some won't. Look at John chapter 1 verses 11 and 12. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, adopted into God's family. And don't forget about John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes is saved. And then think about how we've, had this play out over different people having different kinds of encounters with Jesus, just even in the first four chapters of John alone. Some people believed in him. Some people followed him. Some were confused by him and didn't understand any of the things he was really saying. 
And others just flat out rejected him because they, you know, felt threatened by him. He was going to change things. But when it comes to this Samaritan woman, how will she respond? How will she respond? Because not only did Jesus offer her living water that, that he said would spring forth in eternal life, but he also told her more directly than anyone else Jesus had encountered up to that point, the truth about his actual identity. In verse 25, she said, well, I know that the Messiah is coming, to which Jesus responded in verse 26, well, look no further, because I am. Jesus is the Messiah. He, he declares that to this woman, which is amazing in and of itself, but, but will she believe it? Will, will she actually receive that? Will she believe it? Well, in verse 28, we see her response. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Now this, folks, this is the power of the gospel in action. Because this woman who came to the well in the middle of the day in order to avoid other people meets Jesus there. And Jesus sees her and loves her and offers her living water. And then this woman goes back to her town to tell the very same people she was earlier trying to avoid the good news about what has happened to her. And of course, this is how the gospel works. In Jesus, the gospel unites what the world divides. The gospel brings together the things that the world says, well, these things don't go together. Jesus breaks those boundaries. And it's an invitation not into a, a new attitude about life, but into an entirely new life. It's only possible through Jesus. And part of this new life is, is then being an ambassador of this good news of Jesus Christ to the world. In other words, the, the new life moves us from outcast to broadcast from outcast to broadcast. We want to tell other people about this. And this woman, who is honestly the last person you would expect to be talking to Jesus in the first place, becomes the very first evangelist, someone who spreads this good news, this invitation to meet Jesus for themselves. Come and see, she says. Come and see, which is Exactly the same language that Jesus used to call his first disciples. Do you remember that in chapter one? Come and see. And then it's how the disciples then turned around and called more disciples. Come and see. Come meet this man who sees me and loves me and saves me like no one else can. And remember, she has had a lot of trouble. She's been married five times. We don't know why these marriages ended in divorces. But whatever it is, Jesus has now loved this woman in a way that no one else has loved her before and no one else can. And so she is so eager to spread this message of hope that did you notice she, she leaves her water jar behind when she goes back to the town? And I, you know, I don't want to read too much into that, but, but could it be, could it be that that when new life starts, when new life in Jesus starts, when you encounter Jesus and, and he sets you free from your old life, you, you can't help then but leave the old behind in order to be able to walk fully into the new, out of the darkness 
and into the light. We've said this over and over again. And so my question for you is, what do you need to leave behind today? What do you need to walk away from in your old life that, that is just kind of tied to you like an anchor and keeps you from fully following Jesus? What do you need to walk away from? Well, the Samaritan woman hurried back to town and she began telling other people about Jesus. And all this is happening while the disciples are still trying to understand what in the world is going on here? Look at verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, uh, Rabbi, eat something. Now, who knows? Maybe they just think he's hungry and that's why he's acting strange. Like, you know, those Snickers commercials. Just eat this so we can get, uh, you know, everything can get back to normal here, Jesus. Or maybe they're nervous and they don't really know what to do. So eating just seems like a good idea. When you don't know what to do, maybe it's time for a meal. But in any case, Jesus takes the opportunity to teach them something that's, I don't think, just important for them. It's really important for us, too. And, and we might miss this at first because it just sounds a little confusing. And it starts off by them offering food to Jesus. You know, they, they, Jesus, you know sent them to go get this food. And so uh, then Jesus responds to their offer to eat something with, which is uh, verse 32. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. I mean, can you just imagine being one of the disciples here? Jesus sends you to this town to get food. You come back from the town with the food he sent you to get only to find him having a rather intense theological discussion with, of all people, a Samaritan, but not only that, a Samaritan woman that he's talking to all by himself. You have questions, but you don't ask them out loud because it says they didn't say any of these questions out loud. And then you try to give Jesus some food. And instead of taking it, he says, I have food that you know nothing about. Well, no wonder the disciples are confused, right? And so they say to each other in verse 33, I don't know, could could somebody else have brought him food? They're confused. Just like we would be too. Just like maybe we are now. Because they are thinking about things and talking about things that are physical. But Jesus is referring to spiritual things. This happened last week. Remember when Jesus offered the Samaritan woman, woman living water she at first thought he was talking about, you know, physical water, like he was going to, or knew of where a well was that he was going to go take her to. But he was talking about spiritual water. And this is the same thing going on here. Jesus takes the conversation in a spiritual direction, from the physical to the spiritual. And so he starts talking about spiritual food, while the disciples are still talking about physical food. But remember, the Samaritan woman had gone off into town, to tell other people about Jesus. And now just imagine, I, this is the way I think of it. Imagine Jesus standing kind of on the edge of where they were at the well, looking toward the town, looking off into the distance and wondering who and how many will come to meet him. That's the image I think we should have in our mind when we, we're trying to understand the context here. It's, it's, it's almost like Jesus is looking off on the horizon wondering and waiting to see who will come to see him. And he's telling the disciples, how can you even think about eating at a time like this? This is so awesome. How can you even think about eating at a time 
like this. And honestly, even though that might not be our exact situation, most of us can relate to this in one way or another because haven't you been so focused on something at one point or another, whether it's uh, focused on your work or a project or, or maybe even uh, binge watching a Netflix TV series or, or a video game, but, but something that you become so focused on that you s- just forget to eat and drink because it doesn't even seem important. Well, in 1741, there was this, this famous composer. It's a guy named George Friedrich Handel. And he wrote this amazing, now wildly famous piece of music. I'm sure you've heard it. It's called Messiah. And he wrote this, this masterpiece, in only 24 days. 24 days. 259 pages of handwritten music produced in 24 days by one person. An amazing piece of music. In fact, he was so focused while he was completing this work that that many times he would need to be reminded, you have to eat, you need to drink, and, and, and even you need to sleep because he was so focused on the work he was doing. Well, when it comes to the work that Jesus came to do, we see something similar. He's so focused on accomplishing what he came to do, which is the will of the Father, that accomplishing it is more important than eating this food that the disciples went to get. He, he starts talking about it in a, in a different way because he's being fed by something else at the moment. He doesn't need the food right now because he's being fed in a different way, which really, honestly, is probably a reference back to, all the way back to Moses in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, uh, it says at the end of it, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So in other words, hearing and obeying the word of the Lord satisfies the spiritual hunger in your soul. That is what satisfies the spiritual hunger in your soul. In fact, it's the only thing that can, which is what Jesus is explaining to them in verse 34. Check this out. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. And so if you didn't pick this up already, this is an urgent situation. There's also no time for a meal because the harvest is eminent. Jesus says, hey, fellas, this is happening right now, and you're going to be a part of it. Look at verse 35. Don't you have a saying, it's four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Do you hear how that's urgent? There's urgency there. The the harvest is not months away. It's not tomorrow. It's not even later today. It's happening right now. Verse 36 starts by saying, Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus, the saying one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Again, this conversation between Jesus and his disciples, it's happening at the very same time that the woman went to the town and now the people are coming out of the town. It said in verse 30, the people are coming out of the town and making their way toward him. And so Jesus helps the disciples understand two fundamentally important things here. I think they're important for us too. First, 
part of even having something to harvest in the first place means that work was already done to plant the seed. Someone earlier had to scatter the seed. And this was John the Witness's mission, as well as the mission of all of the prophets that came before him, pointing the way to the Messiah. They prepared the way for Jesus by, by planting seeds of the good news of God's grace, that hope was coming. They scattered that seed into a people who were waiting for the Messiah to arrive. And, and, and in the same way, this unnamed Samaritan woman, surprisingly and unexpectedly, encounters Jesus and then goes to her town to scatter the very same seed of the good news of Jesus. She, she heard the good news and then she shared the good news. Come and see, she said, come and see. She scattered the seed and now, unexpectedly and quickly, the harvest is here. The harvest is here. The people are coming. Therefore, the disciples should understand that in one way or another, God has gone before them and planted and scattered and worked to prepare the seed so that the harvest would come. The harvesters then are the ones who go out and reap the benefits by bringing people to God's beloved son, Jesus. But how does God go about doing this? Well, that's the second thing. For whatever reason, God has chosen to do this kind of work through people. He, he invites us to be part of this mission by sending us to scatter seed. In other words, he sends us out on his behalf to be his representatives, to be his, to be his ambassadors, yes, but also to be his witnesses, to testify about him. And we hear all that, and honestly, sometimes we just make too much out of it. We just, we tend to overcomplicate it. We, we make it harder than it actually is. Maybe that's just a way for us to get out of it. But remember, we said earlier that all of us, each of us, we all have a story. And no matter how simple or how complicated or how clean or how messy your story is, each of our stories can lead people into an encounter with Jesus can lead people into an encounter with Jesus. So just know that by, by us simply sharing our faith, our experiences, we are then helping prepare the way. The, the harvest may not come right away. We're not promised a time frame on this. Maybe it will happen quickly like it did in this particular story, or maybe we might not even live to see it. But think about all the people that came before you that likely prayed and prayed and prayed that you would come to meet Jesus? Are we doing that for the next generation? Are we praying people into faith by asking God to meet them? Send me, send me. Well, sometimes we're, we're called to scatter the seed and, and sometimes we're called to bring in the harvest. But the deal is that the sower and the reaper work together. Even if they never see each other, they are still united in Jesus, who ultimately does this work, who ultimately is the harvester of this crop of people who, who come to believe and trust and follow him. And that is exactly what we start to see happening in verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him 
because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Now, did you see that? She told her story. In other words, she scattered the seed of the good news. And the result is that people came to meet Jesus. So don't tell me that God doesn't work through our stories. Quite the opposite. Your story can lead others to meet Jesus. Your story can lead others to meet Jesus. But are you willing to tell it? Are you even willing to tell it? Because this is not a suggestion. It's part of what it means to truly follow Jesus. We are called to testify, to witness to him, to tell our stories. And when we tell our stories, it's not so that we look good or that we somehow look like, you know, the hero. It's so that others will know and they will see how just when I thought in my life that all was lost and I had no reason to hope, I was at the end of my rope. Jesus found me. He found me. He came directly to me and he rescued me because that's how much he loves me. And he loves you too. And he wants to rescue you too. But don't just take my word for it. Come and see. Come and see for yourself. Learn about who this Jesus is. Experience him with other people. Come and see, better yet, come and see with me. Let's go meet Jesus together. One way we can do that is to find him in his word. Here we see the results of that in verse 42. The Samaritans, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. And so today, as you, you reflect on your life and your circumstances, I want you to consider these questions. Ask God to help you really come to the truth about the answers to these questions. What are you compelled to tell others about more than the good news of Jesus? What is more compelling to you than Jesus? Are you more likely to tell somebody about our Savior or about ShamWows? That's a question I have to ask myself every day. In other words, what is the true priority in your life? Because what you elevate, what's most important to you, reveals who your God really is. And so will you take this time and will you ask God to reveal to you how something might have slipped into the place where only he belongs? Second question what holds you back from sharing your story? I don't know a lot of people that really love sharing their story. They, they think it's uh, inconvenient. Uh, they think that it's, it puts them at risk. They think that, well, people will laugh at me and they'll reject me. Yes, we should expect that. Jesus told us to expect exactly that and more. The world rejects him, but those who receive him are given something that you can't have any other way. It's only in Jesus that this new life is possible. And so I promise you that if you're a follower of Jesus, he is sending you out, whether you know it or not. He is sending you out to scatter seed and to do it through your testimony about him. What stops you 
from doing it? What needs to change? And if the seed of the good news of Jesus has today, right now, in your meeting with Jesus, in this time we've had together, if the seed of the good news of Jesus Christ has taken root in your heart today, will you let someone else come alongside you? Will you let someone else in with you on this journey of faith? We're not meant to do this alone. And we have people that are standing by right now online to to pray with you and to help you as you take these next steps in your relationship with Jesus about learning who he is and coming to follow him more deeply and more completely. Please don't put it off. Reach out and chat with someone right here today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for meeting us right here, right now. We know, Lord, that your word has the power to transform us, to bring us into new life that's only possible in you. And so, Lord, we thank you that you have not left us orphaned, but instead have adopted us as your children and given us a seat at your table. And Lord, we now ask that you you give us courage to share our stories, knowing and trusting that through our stories, our testimony about you, that you will draw more people to yourselves. Lord, give us that courage. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for how you provide for us. We thank you ultimately, God, for sending your beloved son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.